0: As I was uh, trying to discern, what, what do you do on, on at the last, you know, on, the, on your last Sunday? And I, I thought about giving consideration to the Apostle Paul, and as he completed his ministry, uh, and at the end of his life, hopefully that's not the case for me, but when he gave at the end of his life, um, it's a fascinating study, and I, and I felt that it would we could glean from from these passages and these events a sense of hope and confidence as Judy and I and as you step into an unknown tomorrow. Um, Near the end of his life, the Apostle Paul was arrested. He stood trial before a gentleman by the name of Festus. He gave a stirring testimony before King Agrippa. Some of you will remember this from the book of Acts. If I could have the next screen, the location of this happened at a place called Caesarea Maritima, Caesarea by the sea. Jerusalem's over right here. By the way, you'd be disappointed if I didn't throw a map on the screen. This is Jerusalem up here at... I heard the comment you made several weeks ago that, that Pastor Joel's got the book of maps in the back of his Bible. <laughs> Jerusalem's at altitude, and we come down here to the Shephelah and, and the coastal plain. This is Joppa. Who left at Joppa? A guy by the name of Jonah boarded a ship at Joppa. And this was also where Peter would have had his dream of the sheet coming out of the, the sky and nothing's, you know, there's nothing that's unclean any longer. That happened at Joppa. Um, this is now modern day Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv, the capital. Uh, and so Paul left from here and he was taken up the coast, which we did in Israel. This is the direction we actually landed in Tel Aviv, went to Joppa, stayed right here in Netanya, and then continued on up to Caesarea. Maritima. Next screen, please. This is where all of this happened. Up at Caesarea Maritima, Herod the Great, who was one of the greatest architects and, and construction workers of, of history, he built Masada. Uh, he, he just built all, uh, the, the temple, uh, Herod's temple. Well, he also came to a place up here on the coast where there was, there was no harbor. He built a harbor. First time that that that, uh, underwater concrete was ever used in history. He literally formed a harbor out of nothing. Unbelievable. And he did that because people would come from Rome and the emperor, and he named it after Caesar, Caesarea by the sea. And so that was the showcase, kind of like the arches of St. Louis. You walk in and welcome to, to Palestine or to Israel. This is the location where Paul stood trial before Festus, gave his testimony before Agrippa, and uh, and ultimately was sentenced um, to head to to Rome. Even though Paul was a Jew, he was also a Roman citizen. And so after he was having this trial, if I can have the next screen, please. This, it, notice it's in Hebrew and it's also in English. It says in, can't read it, 54 AD, the Apostle Paul, accused of having caused a riot, was sent to Caesarea to be tried by the governor. Being a Roman citizen, Paul demanded to be heard at the emperor's court. He then sailed to Rome from Caesarea's harbor, was tried, and later executed. This may well be the place of hearing mentioned by the apostles. And so it's at this location uh, that we believe that the apostle Paul said, Acts 25, notice, "'If, however, I am guilty of doing anything deserving death,' I do not refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. One of the most famous quotes in history, I appeal to Caesar. After Festus conferred with his council, he declared, you've appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you will go. In other words, that's the Supreme Court. You're going to Rome. You're appealing, you're going to appear before the emperor. And so what happens, next slide. He gets aboard a ship, and he, he will literally take off from Caesarea Maritima, Caesarea by the sea, and he will travel from Israel all the way to Rome. Next screen. Just to give you an idea, this, here's, this is uh, Caesarea, according to the book of Acts. He now goes up to Sidon, goes around Cyprus, ends up getting into a horrendous storm here and is shipwrecked at Crete continues all the way over to Malta, to Syracuse. All these different places are located, and he finally gets up here to the toe of Italy. And these these different places here are mentioned in the book of Acts, and he finally appears before Rome. A lot of people said, how much time will have passed from the time of Paul's arrest until he dies? Years. 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 So this this was not just oh, just a couple months or just a few weeks. This would have been the last years of his life. Who knows? At least two, maybe three, maybe four or five. Unbelievable. Let me give you some details if we could have the next screen. Just some details. Do you know kind of what happened at the end of his life? Well, this this will kind of fill in some spaces for you. Arriving in Rome finally, Paul lived under what's called house arrest with a soldier guarding him. Now, he would have not have been into some kind of underground tomb or dungeon at that point. Notice, if we can see the next screen, this is probably what would have happened. He would have been under house arrest. He would have been chained. Do you see it? Chained to a soldier uh, awaiting trial. Notice, acts 28 i'm going to read verses 16 30 and 31 it's there on your handout when we got to rome notice dr luke would have been with him he's the one writing these words do you see the plural pronoun we when we got to rome paul and luke paul was allowed to live by himself he is not in a prison with a soldier to guard him look at verse 30 how long was he there Two years. So we know at least two years will have passed while he's chained to a soldier. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house in Rome, welcomed all who came to see him, and boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and talked about the Lord Jesus Christ. He would have been chained to this soldier Around the clock, they would have had six hours uh, in this position, and then they would, have been, they would have switched the guards. And so you got, there's Paul chain from 6 a.m. till 12 noon, and then somebody else comes in, and, and they click in somebody else. And Paul's going, next. Captive audience, pardon the pun. And he just, and the, the soldiers are probably thinking to themselves, oh, great, here we go again. And you know what? You can't leave me. For six hours, I'm preaching Jesus. I'm preaching the gospel. After from six, or 12 noon to 6 p.m., click, guys are going, wow. Next guy comes in, guess what? You're with me till midnight. Have I told you about Jesus? Yes, yeah, several times. Well, I'm, let, me, let me tell you again. Around the clock, two years, wow, as a result, A number of people came to the Lord. Number two, here we go. Next screen. Some scholars believe, watch this, after that two years, that he was eventually released. Did you know that? That he continued his ministry in Spain. If you look at those references I've put in parentheses Spain is mentioned twice. He uh, he had a desire to go to Spain. Some scholars, a number of them, believe he went there. Well, eventually he was rearrested, and at this point he is now placed in a criminal prison. We don't know for sure if he had one imprisonment or two. But nevertheless, he came to the place of being uh, eventually martyred for Christ. Now, from the first century, right near the city square, if you would go to downtown Rome today, there is a place, first century holding tomb, for those who would be executed before Nero. You can go to it today. Here it is. Next screen. Scholars are almost confident, probably 95%, this would have been where the Apostle Paul would have been before his execution. When we were there, interestingly enough, they said a number of experts believed that Peter, who was, remember, crucified upside down, would have been his cellmate. Get your arms around that one. You got the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter in the same dungeon cell. And I tell you what, you can walk down in this thing. We were in there. This is my photo. We're in this thing, and they said, this was, we know for sure, this was the holding cell before you appeared, before execution, before Nero. And so this is where the apostle Paul would have been. Not many people go there, interestingly enough. I mean, they want to see Trevi Fountain and all the different, you know, but not many people go to this location. It's one of the. I mean, you don't you don't say a whole lot when you're there. And finally, here we go. Tradition and history record that the, the Apostle Paul was beheaded by the Emperor Nero in Rome in the year eighty uh, sixty seven. Uh, we went to that location. It's called Three Fountains, and I'll explain to you why. The location of his beheading. And this was at the end of our trip. We followed in the footsteps of the Apostle Paul on this trip. Uh, We went to Thessalonica. We went to Corinth. We went to Philippi. uh, We went to Berea. uh, We went to the island of Patmos, where the book of Revelation was written. And eventually we get to Italy and we get to Rome, and this was at the end of the trip. And we go to the prison that you just saw. And then finally, we go to the location of three fountains. I want you to take a peek. Let's look at the next slide. This path leads to the church of St. Paul's martyrdom. In this place, according to tradition, Paul of Tarsus gave his life for Jesus Christ in the year 67, a, they have A.C. or a, A.D. Next screen. As you walk back to three fountains, the place of Paul's beheading and martyrdom, these are first century stones. These are considered the original path. That's why you're not allowed to walk on them. You would be literally putting your foot where the Apostle Paul's sandals would have been as you're heading back to this area. Next, please. We're inside this little chapel, and this is a bas-relief, and I want you to take a peek uh, the beheading of Saul was not by guillotine. That didn't happen until France years and years later. The apostle Paul would have been, put his head on a post and they would have taken a huge sword. Next screen. It's called three fountains because tradition says when Paul's head was severed, it fell off the post and it bounced three times and everywhere it touched a spring sprung up. Hence the name Three Fountains. This is me. I'm standing next to Brad Abley, Pastor Brad Abley from San Jose, California. This is who we went with. And as we're in this chapel, we were the only ones in there. Hardly anybody goes in there. I stood up, and what you see right now, I'm reading this passage. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. I tell you what, I did the same thing when I read that chapel, in that chapel. There just wasn't a dry eye in the place. To stand at the place of the Apostle Paul's martyrdom and to read the last words that he wrote from the book of Second Timothy. It's a very, very moving thing. What do we, what do we pull from this? What do we glean from this? What would be some applications from, from these accounts at the end of Paul's life? If we could have the next screen. And this is the application for me and for you and for the Beulah Church. God took Paul to a place he had never been to use Paul in ways he had never anticipated. Jesus said to Peter at the end of his life in John 21, when you are old, someone else will dress you and you will go to places you do not want to go. God took Paul to places imprisonment, shipwreck, chained to a guard, guards around the clock for two years, and ultimately his martyrdom. He took him to places he'd never been to use him in ways he'd never expected. Next screen. I want you to notice he led people to Christ chained around the clock, including some of the soldiers. An attendance in Caesar's household. I think I've printed there for you Philippians from chapter 1 and verse 4. Now, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard And to everyone else, I'm in chains for Christ. And then in chapter 4, verse 22, all the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Isn't it interesting? There is no way he would have been able to infiltrate the palace except in this way. And so God said, this is the mechanism I will use for you to reach people for Christ. Secondly, he encouraged the believers who visit him And if you look at those texts there, we know that Timothy visited him there as he was in prison or in that rented house. Luke was with him. John Mark, a host of others. You look up those references I've printed. You will see all of these individuals, Tychicus, Epaphroditus, these messengers he would send with all his prison epistles. They were with him. They visited him. And so he had this ministry while he was there. And not only that, look here, next screen. I mentioned the prison epistles. Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. There is no way he would have ever written those epistles had God not slowed him down. And so basically God said, you know what? You are out there planting churches and causing riots and just getting under people's skin. I am going to put you in a place that the only thing you can do is write letters. And guess what? That's going to become scripture one day. You and I become the beneficiaries. Now, isn't it interesting when all of this happened, his imprisonment and the shipwreck, and he gets to Rome, and he's and he's chained to this you know, these these guards, and then he ends up going to Spain, maybe, and comes back, and he's in this prison. You know, if that would have been me, I would have said, you know what? This is just Satan. This is awful. This is terrible. I could be out planting churches, and here I am. And isn't it interesting? The Apostle Paul didn't have that attitude. The Apostle Paul said, no matter matter what happens in my life, God will use this. And that's a takeaway for you this morning. Because there's things that that you're going through that are absolutely awful. And, And you're right, they are awful. It was awful what he was going through. But God was able to take that which was awful and use it. Let me ask you a question. When Joseph in the Old Testament was thrown into prison by his brothers, was that awful? Absolutely. When Joseph was sold into slavery to the Midianite caravan, was that awful? Absolutely. By the way, when Joseph was framed by Potiphar's wife for rape, would that have been awful? Absolutely. And then when he's tossed in the pokey along with what? The butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker. Remember? They're all thrown in prison, and he's left there, by the way, for probably 15 years. Now, if I would have been Joseph, I would have said, this is terrible. This isn't fair. This is awful. Why did this happen to me? And then finally, he he interprets the dreams of the Pharaoh, and he's put second in charge of all of Egypt, and his brothers come back to him looking for grain, and he looks Egyptian, and he's speaking Egyptian, and and he says it's wonderful, it's Genesis 5020. I call it 50 20 vision. That which you intended for evil, God used for. Were all those things awful? Absolutely. Did God use them for good? Absolutely. I'll give you a better example. How about Jesus? Was Jesus being betrayed by Judas awful? Absolutely. Was Jesus being scourged? Awful. And put through these this kangaroo court, and these false accusers. That's awful. And by the way, they'll be held responsible for that. And then when he was hanging on a cross, was that awful? Let me ask you a question: Did God use that? That's what bought our salvation, beloved. And so I don't know what you're going through or our church. Oh, this is awful. Well, you want to know something? Last time I checked, God's in charge. And he can use it. He doesn't waste anything. He can use it for good and for the gospel if we will have the right perspective. See, that's exactly what happened in the life of the apostle Paul. Number two, here we go. God allowed Paul to go through a difficult season. Are you doing that right now? God allowed Paul to go through a very difficult season, and there's nothing fun about being chained to a guy and getting beat up and kind of in a shipwreck, and to teach Paul lessons he could have never learned otherwise. You see, there's certain lessons, there's certain spiritual principles you and I aren't going to learn unless we're in difficult positions. I've printed for you there Philippians 4, 11 through 13. By the way, prison epistle. Philippians, he wrote this chained to a Roman soldier. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Do I have that passage printed for you there? I want you to circle the verb learned. I know what it is to be in need. Was Paul needy at points? Absolutely. I know what it is to have plenty, but I have what? Learned, it's the second usage of the verb, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well fed or hungry, living in plenty or want. And here comes the famous verse I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Isn't it interesting? Unless Paul was in that prison, he would have never learned contentedness. By the way, being content is a learned behavior, it's not automatic. And I'm wondering if God is putting you and your marriage and your family and your children through a circumstance to teach you to be content. You're not going to learn it any other way. Or to teach you that you can do things through Christ who strengthens me. You can do all things. I'm not going to get through this. Yes, you will. Because God has put you in over your head So you'll depend upon him and his grace. Those are learned behaviors you cannot learn anywhere else. You ought to be grateful that you're going through a tough time because God is teaching you spiritual principles you'll never learn otherwise. And finally, we come to the final verses in the book of Acts. Notice, Acts 28, 30, and 31, I've got them printed for you there. Those are the last verses of the book. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Boom, the end. Some scholars have wondered if they've lost part of maybe the next chapter of the book of Acts. Some scholars have wondered if somehow it was yet to be discovered. They've asked the question, why would Dr. Luke leave it right there? Why wouldn't Luke say something like, well, uh, Paul stood up and gave a defense before Nero, and this is what he said. Uh, Paul appealed to Nero, and he shared the gospel. Paul ended up going, and, and, and after being sentenced by Nero, he, he went to a place called uh, now it's called three fountains, and there he was beheaded and martyred, and yet he did more for the, church, the early church than anybody else had done. Why doesn't this say that? When Luke finishes the gospel, he just leaves it. It's almost like it's up in the air. I think I know the reason, and here's what it is. God left the book of Acts unfinished because it's still being written today. It wasn't the end. It wasn't the beginning, or it, it was just the beginning. You and I are writing the ending. The story isn't done being written yet. There are people in this room, Judy and I included, that you're worried sick about your kids. For four years, we've talked about that with you. The story's not done being written yet. You're concerned maybe about your job, your health, your church. The story's not done being written yet. God is still writing the story. He's still writing the chapter. And what a glorious ending it will be. Do you agree? It's been a pleasure. It's been a privilege. Judy and I love you. And we thank you for the opportunity we've had to serve among you. Let me pray. Father, we just thank you for these dear people, for Pastor Earl and for the leadership, Lord, and willingness to take a risk. Thank you, Lord, that when Judy and I came here, as one person said, I didn't want to become friends with you guys because we were just afraid you'd leave after six months. And But, Lord, you afforded us this wonderful opportunity to be a part of this tremendous church family for almost four years. And thank you, Lord, that you have taught all of us and continue to teach us lessons through hard times. That it's not the end, it's just the beginning because the story's not done being written. And we pray, Lord, that you will continue to pick up the pen and finish the story through our lives. Through this church, its best days are still ahead. And so, Lord, we entrust to you this dear congregation, and it's with gratitude that we say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.